Um, and we're going through the Bible. I love reading the Bible, and uh, I read it through every year. And I was actually, um, echo, echo, uh, I got a job at a, another job at a, at a smoothie place in the mall near where I live just to kind of get out into the world and, but also to, I make a little teeny bit of money, but actually mostly it's just to kind of get out into the world, get to know some non-Christians and hopefully to be a presence of Christ there. But I was talking, and so I tell people, oh yeah, I'm a pastor. And, um, and so one of my coworkers asked me, he's like, so when you preach the Bible, I mean, do you just preach, or do you preach the same thing all the time? It's like, you know, what's interesting about the Bible is that, you know, every time I preach a passage, I can preach the same passage, but I'll have something different to say. And so the Bible is so amazing. And so today we're going to look at Numbers 21 to 13 and Numbers 21, um, 4 to 9. And actually, uh, let's read the passage first. Numbers 21 to 13. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff... And you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and where he showed himself holy among them. Numbers 21, 4-9. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake, he looked at the bronze snake and he lived. 
May God bless the reading of his holy word. Now, you know, one of the hardest things about doing a sermon for me is the title. And so for for the one possible title that I thought of for this sermon was Weird Things in the Old Testament that Relate to Jesus. But that was really long, so I just shortened it to The Rock and the Snake, or The Rock and the Serpent. Um, now, as I shared before, I mean, I love reading the Bible. I love studying the Old Testament. It's just really interesting, all the history and the background. And I want to plug Doug's Sunday School class, because if you are interested in the Old Testament or background, Doug is doing some uh, some work in that, and uh, and it's, it's going to be super interesting in terms of all the history, and he's really good at that. And you've also experienced some of that through Dean, and when he's been talking about Leviticus and all the history and, and all the stuff in the temple, and I, I missed yeah, last week. But, I mean, there's just so much rich stuff in the Old Testament, and it was written down for us to learn. So we have to know the Old Testament to truly appreciate and understand all that the New Testament contains. So today we're going to look at two stories in Numbers, and these two stories are specifically related to Jesus Christ, and uh, we'll see that. Now, the background of these two passages is that the people of uh, the Israelites are towards the end of their 40-year journey. You know, Moses led them out of Egypt, but they wouldn't go in uh, when God told them to. And so then they were supposed to wander around until that whole generation of people who wouldn't go in uh, died. And so they've been wandering around for about 38 to 40 years. And so they started out at Kadesh. And they've been wandering around, and now they're back there. Miriam, who is Aaron's sister and was a leader in the community, she has died. Um, and so, I mean, if you can imagine 40 years of wandering, uh, how would you feel? I mean, they were unhappy. They were grumbling and complaining. They're tired and they're grumpy. So where, where do we stand here? So in verse 2, where are the people at, right? There's no water. So the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron, right? And they're, they're blaming him. They're saying, why did you bring us out here? There's, uh, there's this terrible place. There's no grain, no figs, no pomegranates, and no water. So Moses, in verse 6, um, his response was really good. Him and Aaron, right? As soon as the people start to complain, they go, they go to the Lord, and they fall face down. And they, you know, okay, Lord, what are we going to do here? And so, so God tells them, he says, take this staff. Now, the staff is probably the staff that, that Moses did miracles with to bring the people out of Egypt in, in front of Pharaoh. So he's taking this staff. And in Exodus 17, it tells us before, when the people had no water, Moses was told to take the staff and to strike the rock and water would come out. So that was at the beginning, or the, near the beginning of their journey, they were told to do that. So now, in the sec, this, this time around, God says to Moses, okay, take your staff, but I want you to speak to the rock, and it will pour forth water. And so, in verse 9, uh, the, Bible, the Bible says, okay, so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. Okay, so it's, he's going, he's doing well. You know, Moses, the people complained. Moses went to the Lord. The Lord said, okay, take your staff, speak to the rock. So Moses goes and takes the staff, and then it all goes horribly wrong. Okay, so he takes the staff in verse 10. He and Aaron gathered assembly together in front of the rock, and then Moses says to them, 
Listen, you rebels! Must we bring you water out of this rock? And then he hits the rock twice. And water pours out, and the, the congregation is, 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 and the livestock are watered. And they're happy. They're happy. They got what they wanted. But in verse 12, God was not happy. And he says to Moses, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. God is not happy at all. So why? What did Moses do that was so wrong? And uh, there's, there's a, a couple reasons here, three reasons here that, that what did Moses did wrong. The first thing that Moses did wrong was that he spoke out of frustration. In Psalm 106, verses 32 and 33, uh, it says, By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them, for they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. So Moses, I mean, I, I don't blame him. I mean, he's doing his best, and the people are complaining, and the people are blaming him. And so Moses is tired, he's frustrated, but he, he speaks out of that frustration and he points to himself. He takes the glory, right? He says, must we bring you, well, one, well, number one, he calls them rebels, right? Oh, you rebels. And then he says, must we bring you water out of this rock? Okay, so that was Moses' first thing that he did wrong. He was just speaking out of his frustration and pointing to himself and Aaron. But the second thing that Moses did wrong was that he was disobedient. He struck the rock twice instead of speaking to it. So now maybe what he, when he struck the rock, he thought, okay, well, it makes sense. I did this before, and, and the water came out, and so I'm just going to do it again. You know, it worked before. I'll just do it again. Instead of listening to what God said, God didn't say to strike the rock. God said to speak to the rock. But Moses went back to what worked before, but it was, it was disobedient. But the third thing, and probably the most important, that kind of builds on the first two, is that when Moses did those two things, one, when he pointed to himself, he said, look, am I, I brought you this water. And then two, he didn't listen to what God had told him. But, but by doing those two things, Moses failed to point to God. Failed to point to God. He did not show God to be holy, which is the definition of holy is to be separate, to be distinct, to be set apart. God, Moses failed to point the Israelites to the God who was providing for them. And because of that, the consequences for Moses was devastating. After 40 years, of leading this people and putting up with them, Moses would not be allowed to enter the promised land. God declared that Moses' actions showed that Moses didn't believe or trust God. And so like all the people before him who died, Moses would also die before the people would enter the promised land. You know, Moses and God were like this. I mean, they were BFF. They were best buddies. Um, in Deuteronomy 34.10, it says, Since then no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses and God were close. And, and even, 
Even after all this had happened, Moses pleaded with God in Deuteronomy 3.23. He said, Lord, let me go over and see the good land that you have given. But God was still angry and he said, that's enough. Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. No, you are not going to go into the promised land. And it seems really harsh, but that's the God. God is a God of justice and in Luke 12:48 it says who much has been given much is expected. God and Moses were that close so Moses should have should have respected God's word and he didn't and he had to suffer the consequences. But how does this story relate to Christ? In 1 Corinthians 10:1 to 6 um, let me read it for you. First, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 6 says, Paul writes, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ." Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things, as they did. Now this verse tells us very plainly that the rock represents Christ. And and there's three characteristics of this. One, the rock accompanied them. Now it's not literally a rock that was rolling along beside them, okay? But it was the pre-existent Christ who was with them, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ was from the very beginning of creation. Now, he wasn't incarnate, which means a human being at that time, but he was there, and and he was there with the Israelites as a representation of the rock. The second thing is that the water from the rock represents the living water that Christ gives for spiritual and eternal life. And the third thing, which is really kind of interesting, was that some commentators say that in Exodus, the first time when Moses struck the rock and water came out, that that represented Christ being struck for our sins and and, um, put to death for our sins. So the second time when Moses was told to speak to the rock, he didn't need to hit the rock again because Christ had already been struck and so it, it meant that uh, that Jesus Christ died once for all. He doesn't have to keep being crucified for us. And I thought that was super interesting. Um, now we're going to tie that all in together. So there's so we see this story about the rock, right? And we see that the rock was Christ. So Jesus Christ was in the Old Testament. Now let's look at the second story. So the second story is Numbers twenty-one four to nine. And that's the one about, about the serpent. All right, let's, uh, so again, the background of this. They're still traveling along. Now, they, they can't go through the country of the Edomites because the Edomites would not let them through. So they have to go a long way around, uh, which was an unpleasant travel through a hostile desert. You know, if you can imagine, if you've been on a long trip and you, you either you or you have kids in the back going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right? I mean, it's just really kind of annoying. But that's where the people there, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Again, they go back to complaining, right? Verse 4. 
Um, uh, the people are growing impatient. They spoke against God, against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of this misery, up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Now, one, they, they, they're actually not telling the truth here because God provided bread for them. In Exodus 16, he provided something called manna. You remember that? Right? And so the word manna is actually means, what is it? Because when uh, God provided it, it was like dew on the grass and, and people ground, and people would gather it up, and they were like, what is that? And that's how it got to be called manna. Um, and I always, when I, whenever I think of manna, I always think of like honey graham crackers. And I don't, totally don't know if that's what manna tastes like, but in, six, in Exodus 16, it says it's, 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 um, uh, it's like wafers made with honey. So that's what I think of. But anyways, God specifically provided this food for the Israelites. So when they say there's no bread, you know, and this is miserable, wow. That's like going up to your mom and dad, your mom or your dad, whoever cooks, and saying, this food sucks. It's terrible. You know, if you ever said that to your mom or dad, whoever cooks, wouldn't that, how, how do you think they would feel, one, or how do you think they would treat you, right? They'd be kind of angry, right? And so that's kind of what they're saying to God. And, um, and they were just, were, were so contentious. And so what's God's response in verse 6? So then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. Now, I, I always think, gosh, you know, this is, it's kind of shocking to see that God would respond like this, right? Okay, so, so these people are complaining. I mean, it's just, I guess it'd be kind of like if you complain to your mom, Mom, this food is terrible. I hate it. I can't stand it. And then they smack you, right, or, or kick you out of the house or something. Um, God doesn't always seem to react in this exact way where it's just like, wow, the people complain, okay, I'm going to send you snakes. (laughs) But actually, I think in a certain sense, I would call it a severe mercy. And what that means is their attitude would eventually kill them. It would eventually bring them farther and farther away from God that it would actually put them to death. So when God allowed the snakes to bite them, what happened to the Israelites? They're like, oh, we repent. Uh, we see that, that, well, we were wrong. And so sometimes God allows our, our, the consequences of our actions right away so that we can wake up and see that we're in the wrong. And so that's actually what happened. And so the people in verse 7 say, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. And they go to Moses and they say, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. Um, and then Moses responds. Moses prays for the people. And again, I have to really credit Moses here. Moses could have said to the people, you know what? You got what you deserved. I'm tired of you. You know? But Moses didn't do that. He's like, okay, I will pray. And he prayed uh, for the people. And then the Lord answered and he answered this really weird thing, right? He says, okay, we'll, we'll take, make a snake out of bronze, put it on a pole, and anyone who's bitten on it, bitten, can look at it and live. And again, it's like, what? A, these are weird things going on here. And so what does this mean? And again, I turn to the commentaries, which are super helpful. But there's two points. 
that uh, help us understand what's going on here. Number one is that the image of the snake was meant to be a symbol of the curse that the Israelites were experiencing. By lifting up the snake on a pole, it was indicating that the curse would be drawn away from the people. But secondly, God's plan was not to remove the cause of the suffering, but to provide a remedy for it. Now that one's really important. God's plan was not to remove the cause of the suffering, but to provide a remedy for it. So because in verse... Um, in verse 7, the people said, We've sinned and spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes from us. So the people want God to take away the snakes. But God doesn't do that. Instead of taking away the snakes, He provides a way of healing for them. So He doesn't take it away, but He provides the remedy for the um, for the suffering. And the solution is going to require faith and obedience. Right? It's kind of like when um, the commander Naaman had that leprosy and they told him, Oh, go wash go wash in this in this river. And he's like, There are way more better rivers I could wash in. That's stupid. Um, and so in the same way it's like, you know, go, if if you look on this snake you'll live. I'm like, that makes no sense whatsoever. So it takes faith and obedience to do what God has called them. Now, now, what's really interesting is that this snake, this bronze snake, the Israelites kept it with them, and they started to worship that. You know, how like human nature that we start to worship things rather than the Creator. So they start to worship the, the bronze snake because they think the healing power is in the bronze snake, but it's not. And so uh, in 2 Kings 18.4, Hezekiah destroys it because it has become an object of worship. But anyways, I think in this story we see that the poison of the snakes represents the consequences of sin that sometimes we don't see right away. You know, not all people who smoke die of lung cancer. Not all people who drink over uh, alcohol too much die of cirrhosis of the liver. Not everyone who eats unhealthy dies early. God doesn't always take away the consequence, the, the, our doesn't take away the things that make us sin, but he gives us the remedy for it, which is to look up. You know, and I was trying to think of, okay, okay, maybe I can stick a snake on a pole, you know, but I just didn't have the time. But, you know, just if you could imagine, right, if there was, if I, if I stuck this up here, if you were looking up, Right? And I was just thinking, you know what? I want you to try and, don't close your eyes, but try and think of all your problems while you're looking up. Isn't it kind of hard? I mean, usually when you think of the things that you're worried about or that you're stressed out about, you look down, right? Or you're kind of just in your, you're looking inward. But when you look up, it's really kind of hard to think of all the things that you're stressed out about. I mean, and because you're looking up. And that's exactly what the snake on a pole was meant to do. It was just to, to look up to look up to God. Now, the New Testament, again, gives us clarity on how this passage relates to Christ. In John 3, 14 and 15, it says, John writes, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. 
That means, and, and so how this relates is that every person has been bitten by the serpent of sin and is destined to die. Now God didn't remove sin, but instead provided a remedy for it, which is Jesus Christ's death. And Christ became sin for us. He became that snake. He became the curse and was lifted up and crucified on the cross that all who look to him or believe in him are saved. So what is God's word to us this morning? And how will you respond? Now I think there's three main characters in the story today. The first uh, group of characters is just the people. They're complaining, they're unappreciative, they're tired, and they're impatient. Then there's Moses. He's the leader. And sometimes he takes a lot onto himself. And he's frustrated. He's discouraged. He's tired. And then we have God. We have God the Father and the pre-existing Christ the Son who was with the people, who provided for them, who healed them. Who do you most identify with this morning? You know, when things are not going your way, or things are not going uh, in, the, in your time, you know, prioritizing what, what Kevin was saying, when you're feeling just frustrated, discouraged, or tired, how do you react And I think there's four encouragements for us from these stories. The first is that even though Moses made mistakes, I mean, he was not perfect, he always went to God. He always went to God. Have you stopped going to God first because he is not immediately answering your prayers? Have you stopped going to God first? in, back in August, I started having a problem with my arm. Um, you know, I, I kind of sort of, I like to work out, and I'm totally not like bodybuilder or anything. I mean, I, I swear I'm lifting like at most 20 pounds, all right, which is not that much. But I was lifting, I was just doing some like bicep curls, and then I felt a little twinge in my arm. And I was like, oh, wow, that hurt. And so, but that was August, all right, and so it started to get, it was not getting better, and I was getting increasingly worse. And, and I, I mean, I was just trying different things. I was going to a, I tried different therapies, uh, and it was not getting better. I kind of feel, I still am, am having problems, and I feel like the woman uh, who had the issue of blood, who spent all of her money <laughs> trying to get better and was only getting worse, I kind of sort of feel like that. And, and so, yes, have I prayed that God would heal me? Yes. Have I sometimes despaired and given up praying that God would heal me? Yes. And it, it, it actually struck me this week, a friend of mine, um, you know, I, my shoulder has been actually worse and has impinged. And if you're a physical therapist or know something about it, please come talk to me. Um, but, uh, you know, it's all connected. The, the human body is amazing and everything is all connected. But anyways, I was emailing a friend of mine and telling him that uh, it was really painful and he said, okay, I'm going to pray for you. And uh, so he's praying for me. Um, and he sent me these prayers that he prayed for me on, on email. And then he's like, so how are you feeling? You know, like a couple of days later. And I'm like, I was like, should I tell him the truth? <laughs> you know, I emailed him. I said, 
really, I'm not better, and today I'm feeling really bad, and I don't want to discourage you. And he sent an email back. He says, this is not discouraging. You know, I'm just going to keep praying. And when he said that, that was really encouraging to me because, like I said, I feel like giving up because God is not answering my prayer. Have you ever been there where you've been praying for something for a really long time and you'd be like, God is not answering, so you just feel like, I'm going to stop. But the encouragement from this morning, I mean, Moses, I mean, the people never stopped complaining. I don't know if you ever prayed, Lord, would these people stop complaining? But whatever, that prayer was not answered because they never stopped complaining. But Moses always went to, to God. Um, but the second encouragement from these stories is that we have to trust. We have to trust two things. And if you're writing notes, write this down. You have to trust two things, that God is with you and that God is for you. If there's two things that you remember that from this morning, I want you to remember those two things. God is with you, and God is for you. God, who gave his son for you, and as Dr. Ekman likes to say, you are worth a son to God. How could God not be for you when he gave the most precious thing for you? How could he not be for you? He is for you, and he is with you. But in this whole experience for, again, you know, with my, with my physical ailments, it's easy to think, God, have you forgotten me? God, are you punishing me? Is there a reason why, you know, you're not healing me? Have I done something wrong? But if you can hold on to those th two things in trust, that, okay, God is with me and God is for me, then the third thing to, to, um, that encouragement that leads from that is surrendering control, which is, which is hard for a lot of you, a lot of us, and me included. Surrendering control and, uh, and obeying God, listening to what God is telling you. has to be God's way, in God's time, right? Moses struck the rock because that's the way he did it before, but this time he was supposed to speak to it. You know, we try and fix things ourselves, and we go for what worked before rather than following God. And listening to what God may be saying. You know, so maybe, you know, my prayer has been, okay, God, heal me. Would you please relieve my pain? But he's saying, no, I'm not going to, because he has other things to teach me through this. So through this, through this experience, well, one, I've been going to a bunch of different therapists, and, and maybe these are divine appointments. Maybe I'm supposed to share the gospel with them. I don't know. Um, but it's also teaching me compassion. When you are in chronic pain, it is really awful. And so, you know, my shoulder is nothing compared to some people, but I can totally see why some people would go into drugs or alcohol because they're in so much pain. You want to, when you're in pain, you want to do whatever it takes to get rid of it. And I can also see why people give up on God. Because if God doesn't answer their prayer to take away their pain right away, I'm going to turn to the thing that's going to take away my pain, whether it's drugs, or whether it's alcohol, or whether, whatever it is. And so I can totally understand that, but, it's, but it's, then it's like going back to trusting, okay? Trusting that God is with me and that God is for me and holding on to that through whatever's going on. And the fourth encouragement from the stories is to look up. Like I, shared, like I shared before, it's like when, we, when we're worried about things, we're just looking outward. 
or we're looking inward or downward. But, but in this story, we're called to look up, to look up. And when you look up, it's really hard. Like I said, it's really hard to be discouraged when you're looking up. Because then you, it's not necessarily about you or about the circumstances. We can look up to Christ and live and enjoy and, and receive the love that he has for us, receive the peace that he has for us. And we can feel that thankfulness of what he has given to us. Um, I have some, I was going to get some rocks, but I had these left over from another sermon that I did. So um, these are like stones, so you could think they're rocks. But I want you to take one, and I want you to keep it, keep it in your pocket. But every time you feel like, I mean, this is Christ the rock with you, and it's clear, so maybe it's living water, I don't know, making things up. But, uh, <laughs> but just as a reminder that Christ is always with you, and so as, we're pass- as, as you, we're going to pass it around, so take one, and then I want you to just really spend some time in reflection. In reflection. Where are you at? What are some of the frustrations that you have, and how is Christ with you? And how is this a representation that Christ is for you and he will provide? And then you can also look up to the cross, too, if that will help. So we're going to pass these around, and um, we're going to take, uh, take some quiet time of reflection as well.